It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, People make arguments, and I look at the right. law, and I decide, well, so I'm not... The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. Just last week, an entire generation of young girls watched as our taxpayer-funded institutions permitted a biological man to compete and beat a biological woman in the NCAA swimming championships. What message do you think this sends to girls who aspire to compete and win in sports at the highest levels? Senator, I'm not sure what message that sends. If, if you're asking me about the legal issues related to it, um, those are topics that are being hotly discussed, as you say, and I, could come to the court. So I'm and not able to. I think it tells our girls that their voices don't matter. I think it tells them that they're second-class citizens, and parents want to have a Supreme Court justice who is committed to preserving parental autonomy and protecting our nation's children. All right, Sandy Rios with you this morning. Well, that was the second day of hearings for Kataji Brown-Jackson. It went like 12 hours. And to me, this the one takeaway that I want to just bring to your attention, on the first day of hearings on Monday, she was just very gracious. She talked about her faith and how important it was to her. Uh, very winsome, and you can understand why she was so winsome with all the senators. But yesterday, the things that she said and the things that she didn't say, and honestly, uh, the lies that she told, it's pretty amazing. And I, I'm, I just tell you right up front, I'm very disturbed that she could be the next Supreme Court justice. And I'll make the case as we go along here. I want to just give you an idea of some of the things that she did say. Uh, there's an exchange between, I'm going to go out of order here, Devin. Uh, there's an exchange that she ha had uh, with um, Senator Cornyn from Texas because she defended um, war criminals in Gitmo. She chose to do that. She volunteered to do that, Guantanamo Bay at Gitmo. And um, in the midst of that, 
she didn't just defend them. She went a little bit further. So I want you to hear this exchange with John Cornyn. This is clip 13. And uh, listen to what she says. I don't know you well, but I've been impressed by our interaction. And you've been gracious and charming. Why in the world would you call Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld and George W. Bush war criminals in a legal filing? It seems so out of character for you. Senator, you may have been talk. Are you talking about briefs that I or habeas petitions that talk, I filed? Talking about when you were representing a member of the Taliban, and uh, the Department of Defense identified him as an intelligence officer for the Taliban, and you referred to the Secretary of Defense and the sitting President of the United States as war criminals. Why would you do something like that? It seems so out of character. Well, Senator, I don't remember that particular reference, and I um, was representing my clients and making arguments, um, I'd, I'd have to take a look at what you, what you meant. I did not um, intend to disparage the president or the, the secretary of defense. Well, war, being a war criminal has uh, huge ramifications. You could be subject to the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court and hauled before that international tribunal and tried for war crimes. So it's not a casual comment, I would suggest. Now, see there, now that's just a lie. I, I'm sorry. Uh, she called President Bush and uh, what, Donald Rumsfeld, war criminals. All right, so maybe she feels that way and she wrote it, you know, because she felt that way. But it is a lie to say that she did not intend to disparage them. That is just, that's, that's really repulsive to me. If she's claiming to be a Christian, I'm sorry. I have to do some hard grading here. Really? I mean, that could, as, as um, Senator Cornyn described, that could make them eligible or the targets of an international court put on trial by international bodies. This could be a nightmare for them. Uh, with terrible consequences, but she, you know what? She she's not quite sure what he's talking about, and she, you know, didn't mean to disparage them. So she tells us, but I don't believe that. Uh, I, I want to go back. I didn't even finish the point. You know, at the top of the hour, the news talked about her not being able to define the word woman. Will you give me a definition of woman? Can you define what a woman is? What that means? No, I can't. Really? You think Katanji Brown-Jackson cannot give a definition of what a woman is? Really? Do you believe that? You should think she's incapable, can't find the words, doesn't have the dictionary, doesn't know how to define it. No, you know what's behind this. It's just, it's pretty frightening, actually. Tom Fitton tweeted about this. He said, the ideological extremism behind this professed ignorance, ironically, will lead to the upending of legal and constitutional prohibitions against sex discrimination. If one can't define what a woman is, how can one protect women from discrimination um, and other things? I mean, we are in the, in the midst of a battle over gender definitions, and she can't define what a woman is. She who says her faith means so much to her, who, you know, would, it seems, have read Scripture, would have absolutely know that God created male and female, but she can't. She can't. She didn't have to give a biblical definition, but she can give a biological one. She could talk about that, but no, you know, I can't. No, I can't. Is basically what she said. Now, one of the other little wrinkles in this yesterday was, uh, and I want to play. This, these are some long clips here. 
uh, Ted Cruz brought up the issue that the, the left is hiding a lot of her record. The White House has tons of her records that they're not releasing. And I want you to hear this exchange. Uh, Dick Durbin, uh, I've described to you yesterday my, my, my low uh, regard for Dick Durbin. He's a, he's a consummate liar. I know this for a fact. And so Ted Cruz um, sort of t- attacked this whole notion of them not having all the information they need. And this is clip seven. Let's listen. Mr. Mr. Chairman, b- b- before we start this questioning, right before the break, I asked the chairman about Senator Hirono had referenced five probation reports that were not in the record. I asked the chairman whether the Democrats had access to information about Judge Jackson's judicial record that Republicans did not. You did not answer me at the time, but as I we returned... Give an answer. I give you an answer. Okay, well, well, hold on. Let me finish my question. When we returned and when we walked in, each of the Republicans was handed this piece of paper, which is the first time any of us have ever seen, which is a chart of probation recommendations. We were just told that the White House gave it to Democrats earlier today. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. And what I would ask you is, that, is there anything else that Democrats have ac- access to in this case that they're not sharing with Republicans on this committee. And Mr. Chairman, how would you have reacted if, say, during the Kavanaugh confirmation, the White House shared judicial materials with Republicans and did not share it with Democrats? I'm pretty confident you would have expressed extraordinary displeasure at that. If I recall, there was some discovery issues in the Kavanaugh case involving several years of his performance in the White House, which your own counsel decided we couldn't but, but sure, that's disclosure to the whole committee. Yes, and, right. and, and in this case, is there anything else that Democrats have access to of Judge Jackson's record that you have not shared with Republicans on this committee, and in particular, the pre-sentence reports? No, I suspect I, if they were helpful, you would have made them public, so the fact that you haven't raises an inference that they're not helpful to, to uh, the case you're making. Senator, you will always draw your own inferences, and I know where most of them head. I will just tell you that the information that we received from the White House, I'm told everyone had access to if they wanted it. And now you have it just a matter of hours after we've received it. Exactly. So is there anything else Democrats have that Republicans do not from, from Judge Jackson's not to my record? Mr. Chairman, can I ask a question about sure. this? I want to be sure I understand. The handout that I just saw, the White House gave to some of us earlier today, but not all of us. We, it was available, I'm told. The information was available to anyone who requested it. The White so House. So you re- had to be clairvoyant and no. know they had it? No, not clairvoyance. I think it's pretty obvious, Senator. It, if How would you we, know to request it? You would know it after Senator Hawley launched his attack on the judge. At that point, all of this information became relevant to uh, countering. So, so, so I would be expected to say, geez, after Senator Hawley asked questions, I better call the White House and see if they can help me research this? No, that's not that's realistic. that's the point. The point I'm getting to is, and you know as a good lawyer, uh, what you do during discovery, I wasn't aware of the fact that this was available. The White House requested it, received it. We asked for a copy, and within an hour or two, you received the same copy. This what, when did y'all get, let me, let me finish. When did y'all get your copy? Sometime today. Sometime today. That covers a lot of ground, Richard. Yeah, so that covers a lot of ground. So they go on and on, and there's more to it. Actually, maybe I should play that last one. Uh, this is the CF. You have time. Uh, Ted Cruz, and uh, at the end, they really go at it. Let's listen to clip eight. Judge Jackson said she relied on the factors, relied on probation's recommendation. We just found out in what you just handed us that in the Hawkins case, the probation office recommended 18 months, and Judge Jackson only re- only sentenced him to three months. That's That's 
You can get more than that almost for, for a speeding ticket. Yeah. And, and Senator, this committee, given that she raised it as the basis for her sentence, it is highly relevant to the committee's analysis to see what the pre-sentence report says. Why did the probation office recommend 18 months and she only sentenced to three months? March 19th, Washington Post. In the case of U.S. versus Hawkins, a sex offender had multiple images of child porn over 18. Sentencing guidelines called for sentence up to 10 years. Judge Jackson sentenced the perpetrator to only three months in prison. Well, those facts we knew. It's the yeah. probation recommendation. We, we don't dispute that the guidelines said 10 years and she sentenced him to three months. I'm sorry, I didn't finish reading it. The government probation both recommended sentences well below the guidelines. The government recommended 24 months, probation recommended 18 months, and defense recommended one day. I'm telling you, it was published in a newspaper. Now, well, I can't help what is leaked to the newspaper or not. This committee, you keep referencing discovery. This is not litigation. This is a committee of the United States Senate where both sides of the aisle have a right to access to the record, and we're carrying out our constitutional duty of advice uh, and consent. I will consent. tell you this. Uh, for some reason, your side didn't request the information. But how would we know to request? So I'm hereby requesting all other information you magically have that you haven't told us you have and you're not sharing with so the other noted. side. So noted, for the record. We'll continue with the questioning okay, now. And Senator we're requesting Cotton. the pre-sentence reports in particular, which are highly relevant to the issues of the Senator Cotton, committee. please proceed. We don't have any pre-sentence reports. All right. Okay. So you, I just wanted you to hear that. So the, here's the deal. Uh, that is actually a big deal. Uh, they have withheld, uh, we believe, some of the most damning, damning parts of her record uh, from the very senators who are deliberating whether she should be a Supreme Court justice. And we'll talk about that with our guest in just a second, because Mike Davis is going to join us. I'm very happy about that. Uh, Mike, of course, was the uh, the um, House Judiciary, uh, Senate Judiciary staffer who ushered through the Kavanaugh hearings and others, too. That was what his job was. And so he's been watching this, and he knows a great deal about it. And so what happened yesterday? And uh, the the overall view is 12 hours, so I didn't watch 12 hours. <coughs> Maybe some of you did. But we could see that they have legitimate concerns about this judge and that she hides, she filibusters, and then she says she doesn't know. She didn't said she didn't even know what Dred Scott really was about. She said a lot of things like that. So I'm anxious to know what Mike, uh, Mike Davis thinks about this, and we'll have a good discussion about it when we return. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. I know we're all praying for Ukraine, and Eastern Europe is a part of the world where Bible League has a very strong presence. In nearby Albania, Pastor Ephraim is preaching away one Sunday. There's a ruckus at the door. Who is it? Twenty militant Muslims. They storm the pulpit, drag this man down the aisle. His family, many in the church who are new converts, are just horrified. They take this man to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death. You know what his crime is? Very simply, that he has been patiently and winsomely sharing Christ with Muslims and atheists and they are coming to place their faith in Jesus Christ. But the leaders in those uh, movements are not happy. You know when I ask him, how can we pray for you, brother? He did not say, pray for an end to our suffering. He says, pray that we'll see those around us as the mission field and more will come to Christ. $5 sends a Bible, $100 sends 20 to Eastern Europe today. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give it sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. Dot org. This is Pause to Pray, 
a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Regina LaBelle, Acting Director of the Office of National Drug Control Policy. She leads anti-drug efforts in the United States and serves as an advisor to the President. 1 Corinthians 6.19-20 reminds us of the importance of caring for ourselves. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Regina LaBelle as she serves as our nation's drug czar. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, and we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. At Liberty University, we're proud to support those who serve and protect us every day, like first responders and past and present military members and their spouses. As thanks for your service, we offer special tuition rates and discounts. You'll also find deployment-friendly classes and degrees tailored to your specific interests and career goals. Learn how Liberty designs degrees just for you by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's DEGREE to 49595. An overwhelming number of Americans say our nation's moral compass is pointed in the wrong direction. 72% say we're headed down the wrong path. That's according to a new survey conducted by Marist College and released by Deseret News. The survey also shows that fewer Americans attend church services. Only 54% say they believe in God, as described in the Bible. The Marist poll also tackles politics and religion. No real surprises. 70% of Republicans say their politics should be influenced by their religion, compared to 28% of Democrats. Republicans, by and large, believe the Constitution was inspired by God, and 90% say our country's moral compass is broken. If the American people truly want to restore our nation's traditional values, if they really want to bring order out of chaos, we have to point our moral compass to the cross of Calvary, not Washington, D.C. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The media will uh, be your biggest killer. They're your pet. They have every right to do they want to kill. There will be this constant attack on you, like Judge Kavanaugh and other conservative judicial appointments. There won't be any question of where you go to church, what kind of groups you're in in church, how you decide to raise your kids, what you believe in, how you believe in God. Nobody's going to do that to you. And that's a good thing. So you're the beneficiary of a lie. You're the beneficiary of Republican nominees having their life turned upside down. And it didn't work. So I'm hoping that we can have a hearing that's respectful, that's informative, that's challenging. And President Biden has every right to pick who he'd like to pick. That comes with winning the White House. And I've been very inclined to support the picks of people that I would not have chosen. But this is a new game for the Supreme Court. And this game is particularly disturbing to me. That's the voice of Lindsey Graham. He's the chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate right now. And so um, 
he says, you know, the, the media is going to like you. They're going to love you. They're not going to put you through what Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh and others in the past have been put through. You're going to have, this will be easy. You're the beneficiary of some of those difficult times. And that brings me to introducing my next guest, Mike Davis. Um, as I just told you before he joined us, is the founder and director of Art- the Article 3 Project. But before that, he was the kingpin in the Senate Judiciary Committee ushering through those very difficult nominations. And so I've asked him to join us this morning because I know he's watching He's watching this very carefully with uh, with seasoned eyes. So, Mike, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. You know, um, any comments about what Lindsey Graham just said? I mean, uh, any any little holes in that or any disputes that you would have with what he said? It's true, isn't it, basically? Yeah, I mean, the, the Democrats have a pattern and practice of uh, trashing uh, Supreme Court nominees from Republican presidents. They accuse them of serial gang rape like they did with Justice Kavanaugh. They falsely accuse them of serial gang rape like they did with Justice Kavanaugh. And then they attack their their families like they did with Justice Barrett. That's not going to happen this time with with Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. But that doesn't mean that she shouldn't get a thorough vetting. And there should be a very thorough vetting of her record. That's very fair game. And it's very clear from Judge Jackson's record that she has a 25-year history of advocating for leniency for sex offenders of kids, including uh, in her law review note at Harvard Law School 25 years ago, where she argued that uh, she argued that sex offender registry laws, the the laws where sex, uh, convicted sex offenders have to notify. Uh, the the community when they move into a community so you can keep your wife and kids away from them. Uh, she or uh, Judge Jackson in law school argued this was unconstitutionally punitive. And then when she went into the Sentencing Commission as the vice chair from 2010 to 2014, uh, the vice uh, the the uh, Sentencing Commission is the government body set up to recommend sentencing ranges or potential sentencing ranges to both Congress and uh, federal judges for all federal crimes. Uh, When Judge Jackson was the vice chair of the Sentencing Commission, she made it her own pet project to to advocate for lighter sentences for people who uh, possess and distribute child, child pornography. These are the worst people on the planet. Uh, and uh, there is a five-year mandatory minimum sentence imposed by Congress for people who distribute child pornography because Congress stepped in after liberal judges and prosecutors went to light on these predators, uh, these people who take enjoyment out of watching kids getting raped because that's what child pornography is, is child rape. And she made, uh, Judge Jackson made that her pet project. She thought that Congress's policy decision was wrong and too harsh. And so she made that her mission at the Sentencing Commission. And then she took that mission to the district court when she was a district court judge in D.C. for eight years. And uh, Judge Jackson, as, as Senator Hawley pointed out, had seven cases on the district court where she had discretion on these um, these child pornography cases. And in seven of seven of these cases, all 100 she imposed sentences on these uh, child pornographers significantly below the sentencing 
guidelines range from the Sentencing Commission and significantly below what the prosecutors recommended. So she is, she just has this this weird pet project of advocating for leniency for uh, for sex predators of kids. She's also uh, she also spent her free time uh, in private practice. She provided a free legal services. She provided pro bono representation of Gitmo terrorists when she was in private practice. Uh, and as a result of her representation, where she was at a big law firm called MOFA, Morrison and Forrester in D.C., she advocated not even as she wasn't even representing uh, terrorists' clients. She was representing former liberal judges who thought we were uh, too mean to terrorists. And so she argued all the way to the Supreme Court as an amicus. Um, and the Supreme Court, Justice Kennedy, with four liberals, adopted her position. And uh, said for the first time that these Gitmo detainees have habeas rights. And from from this result, or from this decision, uh, we've had to release 729 of these detainees. 229 have returned to terrorist activities, and 12 have killed six Americans. So the Democrats talk about the empathy standard, and let's look at uh, let's look at for whom Judge Jackson has empathy. She has empathy for sex predators of kids and terrorists who kill Americans. Yeah. Mike, before you join me, I talked about a couple of the things that she has done. We actually played the clip where Senator Cornyn asked her about why she called Donald Rumsfeld and George W. Bush war criminals, which has international law implications, very dangerous. And I made the point, and I would like to know if you feel the same way. You know, she was all sunshine and roses, it seems to me, on Monday. Very winsome. And she certainly was that, I think, as she visited each of the Republican senators. She saw smiles. She talked about her faith. But yesterday, I thought we saw the dark side because um, she, uh, to me, was very ingenuine. How could she say? She said she didn't even remember doing that, and she did not mean to disparage them in any way. That on its face is disingenuous. I sort of saw that pattern throughout what I actually got to see. I wonder what your thoughts are about that. It's very clear that you know, so President Biden's uh, very proud of the fact that he picked the first black woman on the Supreme Court after he threatened to filibuster Judge Janice Rogers Brown in 2005, uh, George W. Bush. George, George W. Bush's pick for the D.C. Circuit, who uh, Biden and Schumer and Durbin and Hillary Clinton and Obama filibustered. They, uh, she, she was filibustered for two years for her uh, for her appointment to the D.C. Circuit, the second highest court in the land, and then once she was put on the D.C. Circuit, she was uh, judge. Uh, then Senator Biden threatened to filibuster uh, Judge uh, Janice Rogers Brown if George W. Bush elevated her to the Supreme Court. And they also have this, you know, clearly doc at Article Three project. We clearly document the Democrats' long history of of uh, viciously attacking and smearing women and minorities from Republican presidents. So. But the point is that they're crowing about appointing this black woman, and then they opposed all these black women from Republican presidents in the past. And they even viciously attacked, the left even viciously attacked Judge Michelle Childs, one of the three finalists for Biden, because they didn't think that she was liberal enough because she had corporate clients one time at private practice. So this this has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with the uh, with diversity, it's all about leftists getting power, and that's what they're going to get with Judge Jackson because she's you know, a leftist. I thought you know, it was interesting. She's a, she's a hardcore leftist, and she has been her, well, she, her whole life. She really is. I mean, I.
I'm really actually my my ears are kind of blown back. I, I didn't know she because she was so winsome. I thought maybe there was some hope here, and because of the things that she stated, but she is really a player as far as I'm concerned, and that that's very disturbing to me. You know, she claimed that she did not know about uh, uh, people going after her opponents in the nomination process. She claimed yesterday she feigned. She said she was busy practicing law, and she didn't know that they'd gone after her other. And oh, the other thing, too, I don't know if you saw this, Mike. Did you see that the FBI Los Angeles did a, did a had a like a party and celebration? Not the whole. They had one. Everybody could come, but they had one in one of their rooms in the FBI offices of the of LA. Uh, congrats, you know, celebrating this nomination process for Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, I I just think that's uh, that's just pretty scary because we see that all of the forces, including the White House. Uh, the the media, all of them are aligning to. It's like a done deal. I would say McConnell's in there too. It's like a done deal. There's no pushback. We talked about that you and I last time you joined me, and I read a further article about supposedly uh, Senator McConnell's view on this. And he is the minority leader in the Senate. That's why he's important because this will go before the whole Senate for a full vote. And my impression of what I've read is that he he says, uh, you know, he makes much of the fact that she will not be treated like Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. He's very proud of that. That seems to be like the most important thing to him. And then also that privately he's saying, well, it's we can't stop her anyway, and so uh, we're just going to, you know, play the gentleman here and let her pass through. I want to know what your thoughts are about that, Mike. That's. I don't think that's true. I think he's his his uh, his staff is putting up. A, look, I I disagree with Senator McConnell on many things, but I worked very closely with him on judges. The guy is rock solid on judges. Uh, between my old boss, uh, Chairman or then Chairman uh, Chuck Grassley and uh, Mitch McConnell, the, the former uh, Majority Leader of the Senate, they were the two key people in the Senate to get these judges through. They really care about this stuff. And on judges, I think there, there's just no doubt in my mind that McConnell is rock solid. He, you know, like I said, he can get, he can get sideways with conservatives on the other issues. This is not one that conservatives should be angry about. He's very good on judges. I think he's being realistic to the fact that he doesn't have the votes right now to stop Judge Jackson. But if he had the votes, he would do it in a second. Um, and We'll see. I actually, you know, he went from like this. Judge Jackson went from a glide path uh, to her confirmation a week ago. I think she's in trouble. You do. I think she should be. But what what signs do you think there are that she really is in trouble? Because of the 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 fact that Chairman Dick Durbin had to spend uh, his questioning to prebut. The allegations out That's there true. that Judge Katanji Brown Jackson is soft on sex predators of kids because mm-hmm. the facts are indisputable that she's soft on sex predators of kids. There's a 25 year history, and frankly, Democrats like this. They they actually have no problem uh, with lighter sentences for child pornographers. They don't think child pornography is that bad, and that's why the American people had to step in through their elected members of Congress and say, no, 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 you're, you're going to put these monsters in prison for at least five years. And people like Judge Jackson and all these other weirdo leftists have been uh, making it their mission to, to go light. We should be doing, Sandy, this makes, this makes my blood boil thinking about this. We should be doing the opposite 
of what Judge Jackson is advocating. With the explosion of high-speed internet around the world, uh, fast internet available all over the world, including the third world, with people having smartphones with high-definition cameras, uh, we're in a different ballgame than we were 10 years ago uh, when these uh, when, when Congress passed these mandatory minimums. This, Child pornography has actually gotten uh, easier to to make, and it's got easier to watch. It's been easier. It's been easier to share, and it's created this proliferation, this explosion of child pornography, where these kids around the world, especially in third world countries, are being exploited badly. So creeps in America and the rest of the West can sit around and take their enjoyment out of watching kids getting raped. It's disgusting, and we need to. We don't need to have less of a deterrent. We need a greater deterrent. Five years is not enough for a mandatory minimum. We need a greater deterrent. So these creeps who are watching this stuff, they're creating the market for these kids to get raped. They need to understand that if you do this, you're going to go to prison for a very long time. And in Judge Jackson's world, it, you know, there, she's creating, she's she's making it easier for, for kids to get exploited. It's monstrous. And that for that reason alone, she's disqualified to, for the Supreme Court, and no Republican should support her. And if any Republican supports her, they should be primaried and lose. And if that means we lose the seat, so be it. So, do you think then there's any wiggle room with Democrats? So that's the issue. I mean, if you had all of the Republicans, you still wouldn't have enough to oppose it. Uh, so you would need you get you know, every Republican, get every Republican to oppose this nominee, including Mitt Romney and Susan Collins and the others, uh, Lisa Murkowski, the the other people who could potentially jump here, and then it makes it very hard on Mansion and Cinema and Democrats who are up for re-election this year. Senate Democrats who are up for re-election, like Raphael Warnock and these other leftists who are, who pretend to be moderate. Um, you know, it makes it very difficult to vote for Judge Jackson if there's unified Republican opposition. We need to make this an issue. Do do we, as Americans, do we think that we're uh, that we're too mean to people who take enjoyment out of watching kids getting raped, or do you think that we need to be meaner to them? I, I think it's the latter. I think we need to be we need to be meaner to them. Regardless, Congress has spoken here. They there's a five year mandatory minimum. Uh, for people who distribute por- uh, child pornography, and Judge Jackson just doesn't like it, and she's made it very clear she doesn't like it in her 25-year record, so she's doing everything she can to get around it. She was the tip of the spear on the Sentencing Commission to make key findings in 2012 that people who who watch child pornography are not pedophiles. Somehow, they're not pedophiles. All the experts at that sentencing hearing, that Sentencing Commission hearing, said, no, 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 Vice Chair Jackson, that's not true. They are pedophiles. She disregarded the expert testimony, and she made it a key finding of the commission in 2012 that they're not pedophiles, so therefore they're not a danger to kids, and so therefore we don't need to punish them uh, for five years in prison. And that made, she made that a key finding of the commission, and now all these lip, liberal judges around the country point to that sentencing commission key finding when they when they... Uh, when they uh, impose lighter sentences on these uh, child predators, these are the worst people on the planet. And uh, yeah. Judge Jackson doesn't think so. You know, this this brings up the point I was making earlier. Because yesterday she said on more than one occasion that it was, the Cong- it was Congress's fault 
uh, for the fact that she had leniency. And now then we find out later down the fine print that it was actually court that took away the mandatory part of the sentencing, uh, not the Congress, that the Congress did intend for there to be mandatory sentencing of these kinds of crimes. So that was another, like, disingenuous concern. I mean, I just don't like people that lie, Mike. I realize well, she's, this is she's being very dishonest there because here's the yeah. deal. Congress has made it very clear that they want judges to punish these child predators very harshly, right? Congress imposed five-year mandatory minimum sentences. She's pointing to another provision where you have to look at a bunch of, like, you know, factors. It's called 3553A factors, 18 U.S.C. 3553A factors, and there is nothing in there that doesn't that that precludes Judge Jackson from ordering harsh sentences for people who uh, who traffic in child pornography. There's nothing in there. It's an excuse. So she ignores the sentencing guidelines from uh, that from the Sentencing Commission, you know, on which she served as the vice chair for four years. She just doesn't like the guidelines, so she ignores them. She points to these you know multi-factor bogus factors. Uh, to, for her bogus argument that she has to go light on these child sex partners, she doesn't. Right? She absolutely doesn't. She can. She can. Uh, let me give some examples. There's there's an example where uh, there was a a guy. Uh, he was 18. He was trafficking in child porn images. He faced up to 120 months, 10 years in prison. Guess what? Judge Jackson ordered three three months in prison. Right? If you look at there's this guy who wanted to travel across, Judge Josh Holly put this out there, there's this guy who wanted to travel across state lines to abuse a nine-year-old girl. The guidelines recommended 97 to 121 months. She is, she ordered 57. There was a another one where this person had 600 images, right? And he faced uh, 151 to 188 months. Jackson gave 60 months, the lowest possible sentence allowed by law. Uh, there's another one. This guy had 41 child porn images, uh, and that the, the the guidelines range was 78 to 97 months. She gave 28. I mean, it's just there are seven instances of the the, the biggest monsters on the planet with this, these child porn images, and she chose she chose to to go light on these these people. And you have to ask why. Like, what is driving this? Does she does she have a family member, or a friend really? who got picked up with child pornography what's what is driving this obsession of hers because she has been the tip of the spear and in champion lighter sentences and overall leniency for sex predators of kids well i would have to say then it seems to me based on our discussion that the way we need to approach our opposition to this is there's so many things to oppose but we need one thing and this is the one thing i think people on the left and the right can agree to and if she's not just a casual person, a judge who just made an inadvertent decision, but she was the tip of the spear, as you just described, for all the reasons you just described, this is why you can, with good faith, call your senator and tell them to vote no on Ketanji, Ketanji Brown Jackson, uh, that we can't have this. We can't have someone on the court who's fine with pedophilia and child uh, pornography, uh, who is sympathetic and uh, wants to be kind. And we'll talk about that maybe after we say goodbye to Mike here. But, Mike, it's always a, a pleasure to have your input. I really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Okay, Mike Davis, Article 3 Project. We appreciate your time. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
Hello, I'm Gary Roby, host of Call to Worship, heard each Sunday on American Family Radio. This one-hour program will lead you in a special time of worship and praise. We will focus on God's Word, spoken, and in music. Call to Worship has a different topic each week as we glorify God together. Be sure to join us at 5 a.m. Central each Sunday for a Call to Worship right here on American Family Radio. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. We live in an era currently where spirituality is in vogue. Christ following is not. Some even claim to love Jesus while simultaneously rebelling against his word and encouraging others to rebel similarly. But Jesus said it himself, If you love me, you will obey me. Whoever does not love me, does not obey my words. Make no mistake about it. To love Jesus is to obey him. You cannot love Jesus and disobey him. If you're living in open rebellion against Jesus' word, you're not following Jesus as he's revealed himself in scripture. You're following a God you've created. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is the sound of not just one, not just two, but three heartbeats. Heartbeats that were birthed through the ministry of preborn. The heartbeat of a preborn baby can be heard as early as six weeks on ultrasound. The sound of a heartbeat changes everything. I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats for moms in crisis in America and the direct competition to Planned Parenthood. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time, and this time there were three. To find out more, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. 39 years ago today, my old boss, President Ronald Reagan, launched the Strategic Defense Initiative. It was intended to enable the United States to protect its people from nuclear-armed missiles, not avenge their mass murder after the fact. Tragically, unbeknownst to most Americans, we still have no comprehensive defense against the vast and recently upgraded missile arsenals of enemies like Russia's Vladimir Putin and China's Xi Jinping. Worse yet, the American people are largely ignorant of another ominous fact. We are relying on an obsolescent nuclear arsenal almost entirely put into place by Mr. Reagan and his predecessors, even to avenge an attack on them. In light of Putin's Ukraine-driven nuclear threats, we'll be holding an urgent webinar today on preventing nuclear war. This is no drill. Please join us at presentdangerchina.org to learn how we do that. This is Frank Gaffney. 
Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. That was the sound of Disney employees in Orlando. Uh, they're on strike because, um, well, I don't know, because they were in uh, Florida and because Governor Ron DeSantis uh, p- passed a bill, signed a bill into law that would not would prevent uh, teach kids in public school from learning about uh, LGBT issues uh, from, I think it's through grade five. Uh, the, and so they're calling it, of course, they say that it's a discriminatory law. And so there's so many employees at Disney, Disney has really become a hotbed of, um, I would say, deviant sexual behavior. I'll just say that because I think it's true. I've, in fact, a story just a few days ago that I didn't have a chance to tell you about is how many Disney employees have been arrested. Maybe I did tell you that uh, in a, a whole child porn ring. Uh, and of course, I have told you, and I will say it again because some of you weren't listening when I said that uh, that Disney is known for decades. We've known. Uh, that back when I was on the radio in the 90s in Chicago, I knew that Disney was producing terrible movies and also that some of their cartoonists who were uh, gay activists were putting images in these cartoons that would just flash by that people wouldn't notice unless they knew. They were doing that back in the 90s and they were producing movies by some of their outlets. They have different uh, companies. They did then. They probably still do now. Uh, different movie production areas that do different kinds of movies, and they featured a movie about uh, twins that were in an incestuous relationship. That's back in the 90s. So Disney went off the charts a long time ago. I often say Walt Disney must be rolling over in its grave. Uh, If you're old enough to remember the old days of Disney and Walt Disney and Disney World on uh, Disneyland on Sunday nights, um, it's just cringeworthy. It really is. Uh, to see what's happened. And so they're they're on strike now. So in response to that, well, not in response to that, my response to that is to tell you this story. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida yesterday, issued a proclamation that declared the runner-up the rightful winner of the 500-yard freestyle competition instead of transgender NCAA champion Leah Thomas. Uh, he named uh, DeSantis named University of Virginia freshman Emma Wayant as the champion after she was defeated by Thomas 22 in the NCAA swimming competition Thursday by 1.75 seconds. And he said, By allowing men to compete in women's sports, the NCAA is destroying opportunities for women, making a mockery of its championships and perpetuating a fraud. In Florida, we reject these lies and recognize Sarasota's Emma Wyant as the best women's swimmer in the 500 freestyle. And so, uh, you know, this is what we have to do. It's like um, uh, our friend from Babylon B, Seth, Seth, can't think of his last name, who was with us about a month ago. And of course, Seth has been taken off Twitter because they declared Rachel Levin. Um, well, look, new, I think it was U.S. News and World or, or Newsweek. One of those publications declared the assistant HHS secretary who is a man with long blonde hair who dresses in baby doll dresses and carries purses to the airport, uh, they made him, him their woman of the year. And so in response, Babylon B made Rachel Levin their man of the year, and they were booted from Twitter. And his Seth's response to that was, um, "Don't we don't care. You can boot us off. We are not going to alter that tweet or take it down. And he's uh, saying to everyone, and he's right, just because Twitter and Facebook and Google and whatever else tells you that 2 plus 2 isn't 4, 
Don't let them do that. Uh, we're going to have to stand our ground and speak the truth, double down, and be sure that we're telling what is actually the truth. Now, one thing I have not had a chance to talk about like I had wanted to is the whole the whole Hunter Biden laptop scandal. And uh, in the few minutes that I have, let me just say that the reason this is in the news again is because the New York Times uh, wrote an article last, uh, could have been over the weekend, I think it was, uh, where they finally admitted that Hunter Biden's laptop uh, was legitimate. It was actually his. The reason that's significant is because the whole the knowledge of Hunter Biden, remember he left his laptop at uh, a repair shop, and the repair shop guy kept it forever and kept trying to get in touch with Hunter Biden, and he just never got back to them. Uh, and so the guy in the, the shop made a copy of it because when he went into it, he was trying to figure out who owned it, who it belonged to. It had all these horrifically pornographic images, but it also had all of this information about dealings with Ukraine, dealings with China, um, just uh, the, the involvement of President Joe Biden, his father, who was vice president at the time. This is during the election, right before the election of uh, Donald Trump. Well, right before the election. No, it's when Joe Biden was a candidate, and uh, so was Donald Trump. The election that Donald Trump actually won and uh, Joe Biden uh, took by fraud. Uh, that was the one, 2020. And so uh, 50, you know, uh, <laughs> national security experts came out and said, there's absolutely no truth. This is, this is Russian disinformation. And that, I would love to flesh that out. Maybe tomorrow I'll have more time to talk about that. But let me just say that they're the usual suspects, you know, from uh, – uh, uh, they were part of the Obama administration, and they're lying on their face. They're, they were just lying, but it made it. It tw the social media outlets would ban anyone who talked about Hunter Biden's laptop. So now here we are. What's this? 2022. The New York Times finally comes out. But in this article, which I read the whole thing, it's not until almost the very last part of the article where they, as an aside, mentioned that it really was Hunter's laptop. Uh, and they talked about other things that are not the lead in the story, trust me. And so um, let me just uh, share, uh, uh, you know what, I think I better do this. Uh, Peter Schweitzer was on last night, and he, he's so eloquent. Uh, Peter talks about uh, the implications here for Joe Biden uh, with Hunter's, Hunter's involvement, but now Joe Biden's involvement in this. What does this mean? Let's listen. Clip six. If you look at the Hunter Biden laptop, there's a couple of things that stand out. Number one, uh, that Hunter Biden is paying some of his father's monthly bills while he's vice president of the United States. That's explicitly laid out in the emails. And number two, uh, that Hunter Biden was paying for things like renovation on his father's home in Delaware while Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. Uh, add to the fact that uh, Hunter Biden is complaining to family members about how he's having to give half his income to pop which would be his father, uh, it's very clear that the president and his son, Hunter Biden, had intermingled finances. Their money was flowing between the two. And I think what the Biden family has to be very worried about with this grand jury looking into tax evasion charges for Hunter Biden is there could very well be something that embroils the president himself because nobody was paying taxes on the money that Hunter Biden is using to pay for his father's bills. If you look at those government forms, and, and Sean, you're familiar with this, right? Uh, yeah. You were in public service, uh, both in the Navy and in the White House. You're required to list sources of income. You're required to list, list gifts. 
Uh, and of course, there is a gift tax. If you receive more than $15,000 a year, which seems to be the case in this instance, uh, you're required to pay taxes on that money. Uh, and sorry, Joe Biden does not list any gifts uh, from any family members. Uh, we also know that James Biden, his brother, got $2 million from China. Uh, and very possibly James Biden could have been covering some of Joe Biden's living expenses. So uh, this case, this grand jury case, goes to the heart of how the Biden family operates. And I think one of the reasons the New York Times ran this piece with obvious help from Team Biden is they are extremely concerned that Hunter is going to be indicted. They're trying to get ahead of it, and they're trying to make sure that it does not embroil Joe Biden as well. Yeah, so Peter Schweitzer, of course, there's so much to say about this. Let me make it relevant to today's headlines. Uh, For instance, in the laptop, we, of course, learned, uh, and other sources too, that Hunter Biden was appointed to the board of Burisma, and that is a a Ukrainian energy company. Think of the irony of that. He was also appointed to the board of a Chinese energy company that were developing uh, energy for uh, some, some cobalt, I think it was, for electric cars. So do you think they know what's coming? Maybe the Biden family's getting wealthy on the fact that Burisma, uh, the energy company there, uh, might have something to do with what their future plans were because uh, Joe Biden was the candidate at the time uh, and he was the vice president overseeing a policy in Ukraine and China under Barack Obama. And so this is very dangerous stuff, very dangerous, very concerning, and it all goes to the point that I made yesterday that Ukraine has been a playing field uh, for the American left and other leftists too. It's been a cash cow for many of them. And that's why uh, they want to preserve Ukraine. Uh, And uh, it's just, it's really so corrupt. It defies any kind of logic or explanation. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.